Good evening. So you might be able to see from my name tag, I'm not Chris. So adjust your expectations accordingly. Chris is a very good preacher. And uh, it's a little intimidating standing up here in front of all you scary people. The passage that Nicole just read is Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. And uh, it kind of marks where we are liturgically. That we're right now in the last week of Epiphany. Epiphany is that time where Jesus' incarnation is made manifest. And this is kind of the high day where we see Jesus for who he is. Um, revealed in glory, and then we head into Lent. And because we see Jesus for who he is, then we can walk with him on the road to the cross. So, I had this passage read because of that, but also because it reflects the theme that I'm going to talk about today, which is transformation. Obviously, Jesus was transformed before us. Why, why, why are you whispering? Is my fly undone? Because I'm really nervous about that. I, I preached a whole sermon with my fly down once. It was, um, <laughs> and nobody told me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the transfiguration is kind of a symbol of transformation. We behold God's glory and we are transformed. Um, Theologians through the ages have talked about the transfiguration of the heart or the way a guy by the name of August Hermann Franke said it is that Christ is transfigured in us. Um, we are transformed. So, without further ado, let's talk about this. But before that, I want to kind of press this idea of what shapes you. I know we just sang, take my heart and form it. So you, you have all those really spiritual answers like, Jesus forms me. Or the hours I spend every day reading my Bible forms me. And that's great. And we'll hopefully get somewhere spiritual with this. But before that, um, let's broaden the question a little bit. All of us are profoundly shaped by our environments. There's something in the air that makes us act and think and do the things that we do. Our families of origin have shaped us. Birth order is not destiny, but where, when you were born, the family dynamics around that, that shapes part of who you become. Whether or not you can form a meaningful attachment to your parents shapes you. Um, and it says a lot about how successful you will be in life. Your family's socioeconomic status shapes you. Uh, what is available for you. Perhaps your political affiliations or organizations that you're a part of shapes you. Gender and ethnicity shapes you. I mean, the fact that I'm speaking as a white male up here means that for a good part of my life I never had to really think about the reality of discrimination. That's not my reality. I mean, in a sense it is, because I've benefited from other people's discrimination. 
Um, but I had to ask myself the hard questions. We are shaped by our friendships. The people that we are close to. What do your friends demand of you? Who's in your tribe? Our nationality shapes us. Being American means that war is always somewhere out there. You know, you're never scared that something's going to happen on the way home from here. Um, you always have clean water. You have medical, um, medical care available to you, even if you can't afford it. Our personal aptitudes shape us, right? Um, if we are intelligent or athletic, all of this kind of shapes who we are. The types of entertainment that we watch, um, institutions shape us. The point I'm driving at here is we're shaped and affected by our culture, our work, our environment, and a whole web of relationships. There is something in the air that causes us to act and think the way that we do. When we pick up the book of Ephesians, their reality is no different than ours. It's been a few weeks since Chris kind of gave us the background of this, so let me kind of review a little bit. Paul wrote the Ephesian letter to Christians in Ephesus and to the surrounding cities. It was a circular letter. Ephesus was a prosperous city. It was a port city, a center of commercial trade. It was multi-ethnic, multicultural. It was a religious center of the Roman Empire. The Christians that Paul was writing to were by and large converts from religious paganism. Ephesus was known for the worship of Artemis uh, or Diana, but there were as many as 50 other gods and goddesses that worship, they worshipped. They practiced magic, shamanism. The spiritual world was not something spooky or weird. It was a lived reality. That's how they understood things. Evil spirits make things happen. All these sorts of ideas shaped the people of Ephesus. So, let's stand at the reading of God's Word. This is our passage this morning from Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the way of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Spiritual condition of the Ephesians before they met Christ was that they were dead in the transgressions of their sins. Classically, theologians talk about temptation being of the world, the flesh, the devil. And we see all of these kind of things operating in the life of the, of the Ephesians. They were shaped by their world. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. The Greek words which translate as the way of the world is really a compound phrase. The word cosmos, where we get cosmos, meaning world, and aeon, most often translated as age. So the world age. Ephesians followed the world age that they lived in. In other words, they played the hand that they were dealt. You could think of this as their historical cultural context. They practiced the same customs, they had the same culture, they shared the same values as their neighbors. They watched the same movies, they read the same books, they went to the same club to go dancing. They worshipped Artemis and a pantheon of gods because that's what they were taught and that's what they knew. In simply moving in step with their culture, they were dead in their transgressions and sins. They were shaped also by the powers, by the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Could it be Satan? There is something in the air working against the Ephesians. Now, some scholars read the concept of powers, which shows up throughout Ephesians as these are spiritual powers, they're demonic strongholds, and other scholars talk about this in terms of political and social institutions. Um, in either case, um, the point is the same. People are oppressed, right? Um, institutions and bureaucracy are examples of how human powers might have people locked in in a, a, a place where they don't feel free, that they're, they can't express um, the kind of life that they would love like to live. Think of the group groupthink, madness of crowds. These are ideas that are like sociological, me measurable. People do things with groups of people that they wouldn't normally do. Uh, Rwandan genocide um, and genocide other places. Like people that are 
generally decent people who are good to their neighbors, one day are not. Um, so I don't really draw a distinction between these. There is a human political kind of part of this, and then there's a spiritual dimension to this. Um, I think the biblical worldview kind of brings those together and doesn't drive a wedge. You know, if there's a natural explanation for it, fine. But Satan is at work in some of those things. Ephesians were victims of circumstances beyond their control. Some of them were demonic, some human institutions, but in either case, they were oppressed. The ruler of the kingdom of the air named spiritual and social factors that keep, keep people from experiencing freedom, shaped beyond, by forces beyond their control. And they were dead in their transgressions and sins. They were also shaped by their own desires. Paul says this here, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires, its desires and thoughts. The Ephesians were ruled by their instincts, by their desires, personal cravings, selfish impulses, their ambition. They allowed themselves to gratify their natural desires and fulfill narcissistic ends. But notice the shift here. You know, Paul's been like, you, you, you. And here he says, we. Paul isn't just talking to Ephesian pagans. He's talking to, to Jewish converts like himself, Jewish believers. He includes all of us in his diagnostic of pre-Christian existence. We followed what our desires and where did it leave us? We were dead in our transgressions of sin. Deserving of wrath. Thank God that Paul does not stop here. He has more to say and it's really, really wonderful. One of the greatest words in all of scripture. Are you ready for this? You guys don't look ready. Are you ready? But. You are dead in your transgressions and sins, following the ways of the world, subject to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, following your every craving and desire. But. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus while we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Such a wonderful reversal. Because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy, the Ephesians who, like us, were stuck, were lost, were walking in the, the ways of the world on a pathway to their own destruction, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and ruled by their own whims and desires, and doing nothing to gain God's favor, and routinely, repeatedly, habitually walking the other way. But because of God's great love and mercy, 
God reconciled them to himself in Christ Jesus. They were dead in their transgressions and sins. And when they found him, they became alive in Christ. They were saved by God's grace. This is not just a great by and by when you die sort of salvation where you experience your eternal destiny sometime, but until then you stumble and you struggle through life knowing that in the end there's heaven. No. They were transformed and gifted with the good things of God and made alive. They were dead, but now they have life. Paul said, says, God raised us up and seated us with Christ in heavenly places. Again, hear that. Seated us with Christ in heavenly places. This is not future, but now. There's something fundamentally different about the Ephesian Christian experience from what they had before. What it means to be seated with Christ in heavenly realms certainly includes our destiny. But I think Paul is naming this dimension of experiences. They're seated with Christ. They have access to the triune God. They are shaped, they, they had been shaped by a web of relationships a world age, institutions, but now they are in relationship with the living God. And that changes everything. I also love the image of being seated with Christ in the heavens because it parallels the something in the air that we have earlier. You know, that the, Paul talks about the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Um... And that image is like something over you that's oppressing you, right? What happens if now you're seated with God in the heavens? I mean, that's broken. You are set free. There's nothing over you. You are with Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, So that in the ages to come, he might show us immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, this picks up the theme from the very beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians 1-3, where God has blessed us with every gift in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. We've entered a blessed existence. This verse is future-oriented, that we will be God be with God as recipients of his grace and kindness in the ages to come forever and ever all men and God's favor and blessing is in our life now the Ephesians found themselves transformed from a life that was really no life a dead existence where they're trapped in their world age spiritual forces and their own desires and they were gifted with life, freedom, and abundance. Everything about them was changed.
So, what does this mean for us? All who are in Christ have this sort of change. Transformation characterizes the Christian life. All y'all were dead in your transgressions and sins. You missed the mark. You fell away. You followed the ways of the world. You were locked in and oppressed by spiritual and social forces beyond your control. And we all gratified our desires in any old way we felt like. And we deserved wrath and judgment. But, because God's great love and rich mercy, when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, God made you alive in Christ Jesus. He seated you in the heavens and with Christ so that he could continue to lavish his grace and kindness on you now and in the ages to come. This would be a good time for an amen if you're kind of an amen in crowd. This is the condition that your condition is in. You have been radically transformed, brought from death to life in Christ, set free from bondage to spiritual powers, and you get to enjoy God's goodness forever. This is the truth of the gospel, and we need to live it. But, maybe that's not where you're at. If you don't know Jesus, the best you can hope for is some heroic self-discipline and self-control, but you're still subject to forces beyond your control. The way of the world is the only way you know. You're controlled by a web of relationships, the powers, something in, your air, in the air rules your life, and you are unable to break free from that reality. You're the victim of political and economic, sociological and spiritual forces that are waging war for your soul. Your own impulses and fleshly desires and thoughts keep you locked in a lifestyle that is really no life and doesn't have much style. But the good news is that there is freedom. Because of God's great love for us, God in his mercy can make you alive even when you are dead in your transgressions and sins. So I extend an invitation, if this is you, receive from God his offer of life and freedom and abundance. In Christ, God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him and has given us freedom and extends his grace and abundant kindness to us. All we need to do is trust in him. So if this is you, find someone here that you trust um, and talk with them about it um, and what it means to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life because it is worth it. Amen. But transformation is our lived reality if we are in Christ, right? So some of us, we just need to get better at talking about this.
For those of you who know Jesus and experience his transforming power, can you tell people about it? Do you know how God has transformed your life? Now, I say this as somebody who grew up in the church and thought for years that I didn't have a testimony because I never got to the point in my life where I was lying in a pool of my own vomit and realized the vapidity of vice and gave my life to Christ and was radically changed. That is not my experience. My experience is more like a mug I have. This mug that a friend at Regent gave me that said on it, I love my badass attitude. It comes from Badass Coffee Company in Hawaii. And I loved that badass mug. I, I'd like to wear it, like I'd bring it to class and sit in the back, sip my coffee, make snide comments, bring it to meetings and kind of like pastoral situations. Great mug. But something happened. As I had that mug for a while and I washed it, the more that I washed it, the more my badass started to fade. So now, if you look at it, hold on. This is my mug. Nothing written on it. If you look really close, you can kind of see the faint letterings, but it's faded, transformed, made new. And that's been my experience. It's these kind of gradual cleansings and experiences with God that have changed me and how I, um, how I am. And, and if I don't take time to notice them, I don't necessarily notice that God's transforming me. Kind of the most recent experience of this, and you have my permission to say to me later that my transformational experience is lame and you have a better one, go ahead. But this is my most recent experience. Um, when I was in Chicago, I had a chance to sit with a spiritual director who was, in hearing about my life, asked me where where do I hear God in things that are going on? And I say, well, I said to her, I said, the loudest voice that I hear is buck up and do something. That, you know, if you guys know my story, I uh, have a MDiv from Regent, don't have a job, um, and would love to be doing ministry, and it's been hard. And I've felt like I've needed to prove myself. I'm sorry if I cry. This is kind of an emotional experience for me. But kind of in that experience of feeling like I don't measure up, she kind of led me in prayer, and I really felt God say to me, you are loved. You are chosen. You are called. And I felt affirmed and freed to be who I am in Christ. 
in a new way that I haven't felt in a while. And that's transforming the way I live because I have that fresh grace. What about you? What are the things that God has done in your life that has transformed you? Can we share them? Because the reality of the Christian life is transformation. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Fallen away and missing the mark and dead. And we've been made alive. And we need to be able to talk about it. But I don't want to let you all off easy. Because maybe that's not your reality either. There's a lot of statistics out there that point to the fact that Christians and non-Christians have virtually the same character flaws and moral faux pas. Now, I don't trust the statistics because I, I like there's a difference between people who self-identify as Christian and those who are actively trying to follow Jesus. And I get that. But, here are the facts. In the church are Christians who gossip, who slander their neighbors. There are adulterers. There's all kinds of sexual immorality. There are Christian men and women stuck in the cycle of addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, and you name it. Unfortunately, that's often what people outside the church see. They see these things and they're not convinced that the good news of Jesus Christ is as transformative as we claim. Ouch. So, let me say this. If you call yourself a Christian and your life is not transformed by the gospel, what the hell is wrong with you? Sorry, shouldn't have said it that way. Let me rephrase. If you call yourself a Christian and are serious about following Jesus and your life is not transformed by God's grace, what the hell is wrong with you? Because this is the, the stench of sin and death is on your life. Not the fragrance of heaven and transformation and freedom of sin and the abundant life that is in Christ. Something has gone wrong. Now I say this not to sound a note of judgment. Not to make you feel guilty, but to tell you that God has given you much more than that sort of existence, which is really not the life that he has for you. Because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. We are saved by grace, and we are seated with him in heavenly realms, so that in the ages to come, he might show you his immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace, in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is the reality 
at the core of the Christian life. And that's what we need to press towards. So, let me say that if you are struggling with sin, bless you. And thank God that you're struggling because struggle is a sign of life. I'm not saying that it's necessarily easy and you will likely need a community of people to come alongside you, keep you accountable and help you. Chris shared last week Eugene Peterson's phrase about the life of discipleship being a long obedience in the same direction. And this is the reality. It's a journey and it's incremental. And we don't, we're not necessarily as transformed as we're going to be. Sometimes transformation is hard work. But it is what it means to be in Christ. God, who is gracious and loving, because of his great mercy, made us alive. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful for the fact that you didn't see fit to leave us dead in our transgressions and sins. Subject to the rulers of the, of the kingdom of the air and stuck in the ways of the world following our own cravings and desires but you have made us alive you have raised us to new heights in you set us free and have granted us the abundant life help us to live knowing that your transformative power is at work in us Amen.